trying to make it right These people won't let me go I'm just trying to live my life I just need space to grow I'm just trying to make it right These people won't let me go Let me grow, let me go Let me grow, let me go They should know, they should know They should know, they should know I'm just trying to live my life I just need space to grow Welcome to the Tea with Brie. I'm your host, Brie. Thanks for listening. The Tea with Brie podcast is focused on deep, honest, and vulnerable conversation. Each week, I sit down with a different guest in order to have those conversations. Every week, we'll start with my guest's bio, an intro into how we know each other, and then we'll go into a deep dive conversation about whatever topic they brought to me that week. This week, I am joined by my guest, Leslie Rivera. Leslie Rivera, who uses she, her pronouns, is a self-proclaimed Broadway musical enthusiast with Caribbean roots that stem from Africa, Spain, and the indigenous peoples of Puerto Rico, Tanex Indians. Career AF and proud. East Coast born and raised, Leslie moved to Texas in 2012 and has spent every year since bulldozing her way through some of life's toughest lessons and moments. Having been married and divorced by the age of 24, to living out of her car, then a hotel for an entire year, to working with the nation's most stigmatized and marginalized populations, to include adolescents and adults with intensive mental health and substance misuse issues, to those formerly incarcerated, to now working with her own community, the LGBTQIA+, and the HIV-positive population, you could say she's had a clear understanding of the complexities that enthrall humankind and the systemic issues that plague our society. Leslie has now curated a passion project called the Community Fridge SATX in San Antonio that is expanding and inspiring those within San Antonio to take a deeper dive into the social injustices that affect our local communities. With donations coming in daily in the form of canned goods, fresh produce, and the plant-based goodies anyone could dream up, her goal is to dismantle the false narrative that is scarcity. This project came about as a direct action response to the global pandemic, and her intention is to shine light on the importance of community care and mutual aids. Her thoughts pick a line and get into, quote, some good trouble, as the honorable civil rights leader John Lewis often remarked. Hello. How are you? So excited you could join me today. Hello. I'm really, first of all, the, I just got the words good trouble tattooed on me, like when Harrison <laughs> Biden, when Harrison Biden won. So I was like. <laughs> and claps. That's all. Yes. I was very excited. I, I had been wanting it tattooed. I was like, what do I want this? I wanted it like in, I wanted it on my arm and then I turned my mind and I was like, we'll just get it on my wrist. So. I've been like looking at it for the last like almost month and it's brought me so much joy. So random information that no one asked for, but here we are. (laughs) But that's awesome. So I always tell people how my guest and I know each other and you and I actually went to high school together, which (laughs) is so funny to think about because we weren't like, we weren't friends in high school. Like we were, I think friendly, but like we weren't in the same friend groups and so I think like the last maybe three years ago two three years ago you and I reconnected and so it's just been like a really interesting yeah. like full circle <laughs> moment full circle life moment indeed for sure it's like it, it doesn't get better than that honestly it just doesn't also what like what are say? what are the odds of like two queer people of color from the same town and same high school living an hour away from each other in Texas and like okay. just in general like moving to Texas like who does that we do us oh well you've been here longer than me so I'm always like I've been here almost five years 2000 I moved here in 2016 so you've been here eight that's wild <laughs> yeah it's it'll literally be nine years um in April of next year. And I just don't know how to even deal with that information, how to process that. Um, But, you know, San Antonio has been good to me. So um, it's really become like a second home. I just miss the East Coast now as I'm aging and, you know, 
cringe worthy moment probably for a lot but snow and seeing the leaves change and I don't know I just miss it I miss it a little bit so and of course family um all my family is still out there so it definitely feels like uh Texas and San Antonio are my home away from home yeah like so like I said I've lived in Austin almost five years this was my first like big move like went to college in Connecticut grew up in Connecticut and while I've loved my time here I'm also like okay where am I moving to next (laughs) so like two years ago I thought about moving to Denver and then this year I was thinking about moving to Philly and now you're right it's just like that nostalgic feel of like the season's changing most of my family's still back on the east coast either you know we're from Connecticut to New York to Jersey to North Carolina it's like all up and down the east coast and Maryland so I, I totally feel like Texas has become my home away from home, but it's also like there will never be a feeling like the Northeast if you're from the Northeast. So just no way, no way to describe it. You have to be there to know. You yeah, know, you just I, have to. I have <laughs> found it so funny because like living here now um, for the last, like I said, the last five years, when I first moved here, like I had such a heavy accent, which I didn't realize. And then also like my boss was like, you're just like really brash and I was like no y'all just sugarcoat stuff in the south like east coast like time is money we're super honest like what do you want to know and like give me the details short and sweet and here everything's like super like drawn out and polite and I'm just like okay so (laughs) it it was it was a culture shock for sure yes the brashness for sure the brashness um just not sugarcoating being blunt like all of that I've gotten it all the say water again, say water again, you know, say coffee. Like it's just, uh, Texas definitely got into my heart. And so I'm like, regardless of whether I move or not, Texas will always be my home away from home. Yeah. I feel like people who move, I will speak for myself as a person who moved to like a major city and then also living in Texas, it's like you kind of threw yourselves to the wolves and like, so last five years, I've like learned so much. I've been able to do so much. And I don't think I would have become the person I am if I hadn't lived in Austin. Like it's been weird how much has just like happened like on its own, like from meeting people who I was like, I was a big fan of their show to now, like I'm really good friends with their, one of their wives to, you know, now I'm about to start my dream job on Monday. And it's just like, wild so I I always tell people like you should definitely move away (laughs) if you can't afford to and yeah so I want to just dive right in to your topic today I feel like there's there's so much here I think we couldn't pick (laughs) a topic so I mean you decide where where do you where do you where do you want to go so lately what I feel like has been big for me I've always been really into like zodiac signs and like terascope or horoscopes and all these things um but it's like really surface level when you're younger you just kind of tend to um be like oh I'm an Aries I'm like fiery but um really just diving into um, metaphysics and you know moon phases and lunar eclipses and all these things and how they affect you and how you can kind of uh, look at your birth chart and then really focus and hone in on what areas of my life right now need you know some work based on just looking at you know what a zodiac sign or what element is like heavily in your chart. So um, in, in keeping with that theme, I started to realize this year, especially, but I think more so just in general over the last two years, how much of a difficulty I have with balancing my masculine and my feminine energy and having to come to the realization that I personally, as an individual, I, Leslie and Rivera, putting my whole government out there, (laughs) I personally struggle with toning down my masculine energy and being more feminine. It's just, uh, it's something that I really want to work on. 
this year because I feel like if you're not in balance, it affects everything in your life. So your relationships, your career, your outlook and perspective on life, um, how you react or respond to situations. Um, and yeah, so here we are. I have a lot to say there. I, <laughs> I, I, I totally feel that like this year, I've mentioned it. I think I've mentioned on the show before, but in 2020, in January, maybe even December 2019, I made the conscious decision not to date in 2020. Um, so in January, I started doing like a lot of self-reflection of why had I, why had I been dating badly? What am I looking for when I'm actually looking for a partner? Um, for lack of a better term, like why had I been settling? Was it out of fear? Was it out of you know, what, what was that? So it, it, this year I really focused on getting myself back in balance and really trusting myself again from starting my own business to cutting out some friendships and relationships to, you know, now taking this new job and deciding if I wanted to move and didn't want to move. So there was a lot of growth this year. So I totally feel like 2020 in itself was like a year of reckoning. Um, and I think 2021 would be like the year of like reclaiming a lot of stuff because I feel like a lot of people took this time in quarantine or you know when they didn't have a job or you know what have you to really realign themselves and so you know as a person who is very femme but has a lot of I wouldn't say masculine energy I have a lot of dominant energy which I guess can equate to masculinity but for me dating has always been um, an interesting situation, um, or like exercise. I'm not a describe it experience, I guess experience, because as this very like friendly, bubbly, outgoing person who is also super dominant, I feel like that's like a really big juxtaposition in and of itself. So I guess it is almost like feminine and masculine energy fighting each other. But in the sense of, I am often told that people are intimidated by me not that I'm intimidating and so like that gets me in my head a lot of the time because it's like I had a friend once asked me like do you think if like you did less or like put your career on pause or like just started dating random people or like kind of like lowered my standards I would have better luck in dating and I was like probably but I would be miserable so what would be the point in lowering my standards or dimming my light to appease someone who didn't who wanted me to be someone I wasn't. I was like, I would rather be alone and happy than with someone and miserable. And I always tell people like, I think obviously like everyone knows like Oprah is my Mecca and my North star. Now it's like Oprah lets Stedman be in her life. Like Oprah does not need Stedman. And I think that's been like a really interesting thing for me to think about is like Oprah has like had this whole career and like hasn't gotten married, doesn't have kids. And Oprah seems to be doing just fine. So what is this? societal pressure me as a queer black woman and putting on myself because there's just so much in my dating experiences that I feel so hard about myself on from you know you and I talked about this over the weekend like I really feel conflicted when I like date outside my race because I feel like people are going to see me as a sellout like oh you're too good to date someone black when in turn it's like Black women tend to be the least pursued woman while dating, when people are dating. And so like having to think about that in the back of my mind of like, are you dating me because of what I can do for you? Are you actually really interested in me? Like there's just so much that goes into it when I'm dating, which I know unpack this stuff in therapy, but also I think I know I'm not the only one who, who deals with this. But on the other side, I think of like everyone else in the world who isn't a black woman, like do, I don't think that they have to think about this. And like having talked to friends who are like, well, why, why do you feel this way? I was like, it's, it's a, it's a very interesting experience as a black woman. Like, it's just something that like, as a black woman, we're expected to minimize ourselves to make everybody else comfortable and happy to the, sometimes to the detriment of ourselves. And like, and I refuse to do that anymore. And I think that's what 2020 was for everyone is like the refusal to accept the bare minimum. Preach. Okay, that was a, a sermon. I had okay. feelings. <laughs> her soapbox, yo, and she said it. And and it's true. It's true, right? Like 
and just talking about love and relationships, it's such a slippery slope. Um, one, as a woman of color, two, as a queer woman, and then I absolutely am like more femme. I'm just like, do I dress more masculine now? Like to, to kind of like as a forewarning to people, like I have a lot of masculine energy. I am trying to balance it out or, you know, then living in Texas, I feel like having to kind of question myself, do I date someone who is more politically conservative um, and won't, or won't, you know, do I tone my, my light down? You know, do I dim myself to be with someone that is genuinely a good person, but doesn't match my core values, doesn't align with me, um, and can't accept accept me for who I am, regardless of whether the masculine or dominant traits are there, whether I look like, you know, for lack of a better word, you know, at this point, like sometimes I like to dress more STEM-ish, if you want to put it in a box, you know, or um, more tomboyish, however you want to put it. I'll throw on some hoops, some bands and some, you know, joggers, like I'm just that type, but it's weird because I feel like I'm in living in Texas, but being raised on the East coast, it's like this vibe where you have always seen like women in general, we would wear like Tim's and jeans and a Hollister shirt and some big hoops and be like, what's up? you know, and men, women alike, were not intimidated by that because that is just, you know, our vibe. Like that's, you know, who we are. So it's been a struggle to really just take the time at this moment, now that we have the time during the pandemic to say, am I, making certain decisions in dating or relationships to appease others, to dim my light and for lack of, you know, a better word, again, settle for less than what I'm deserving of, but still like understanding that like culturally the way I was brought up is not like a lot of people's experiences. So just to dive into that really briefly, like I am Puerto Rican and I grew up in a household where the man I call my father is black. My family is black. My brothers and sisters are Puerto Rican and black, um, but I am not black. So I have African roots, absolutely. I'm fully aware of that. And I will um, completely uh, say that to whomever enters my life. But at the same time, I'm not black. I'm not black presenting. I don't look black to people. Um, I'm, I could probably pass as white. So I know that my experience and my cultural upbringing is different. Like we grew up listening to Babyface in the house and Luther is like God and Beyonce is queen and Mariah is like worshiped, you know? And then at the same token, you have Mark Anthony and like, like Salceros and uh, Sel Selena and just a mix of two different uh, cultures and worlds together to make this you know human being and people struggle here in Texas the dating scene has been difficult for me because um, people have to accept you for who you are and vice versa I have so much to say I know I, I can feel it I okay so I want to back up a little bit because there's a lot you said that I wanted to also unpack and like break and kind of slow it down. So the gatekeeping around queerness in the South is 
fascinating to me. And I think it's because, I mean, I didn't come out till I moved to Texas and obviously like I've gone home between now and coming out. And, you know, I'm lucky that my family is super accepting and, you know, I am, I identify as cis. And so not that I quote pass as straight, but I also like fly under that radar of like, because I was raised in the Northeast. And like, you're saying like, there are no rules around fashion in the Northeast, right? Like you can wear whatever you want and no one clocks you as you have to be this. Like, I feel like there, for me, there was like no box, right? Like I'm currently in joggers and an oversized sweatshirt and I could go home right now and soup to nuts, someone would still hit on me because it's just, there was no, there was no rules. Like, it was just like, you look good, whatever, whatever. But here I feel, I feel that like, as a person who identifies as queer and if I had to put myself in a box I'd say pan because I I date all gender identities and expressions and so like with me I feel like I in the south I have to dress a certain way in order for people to be interested or to know that like you can hit on me if that makes sense like I can dress super femme and know that like a dude will probably hit on me. Whereas if I dress super femme, I know that a woman may not hit on me because like that might be the calling card to, to that person that like, it's like, if you're too femme, you only, you can only be in this box, right? Like it's that gatekeeping around what is queerness. And then I think about the cultural upbringing of being in the North too, of like, (laughs) we literally are a melting pot, right? Like you're saying like you were raised in a household of like all these different cultures. And while both of my parents were black. If you ask my family, we're Creole, but I'm not even getting into that today. But growing, just being able to grow up in Hamden where I feel like, you know, the year I graduated, which was 08, we had like, I think something crazy, like 60,000 people who live in our town at the time. And to think about that of like how many different cultures, cultures were accepted and celebrated. Like we grew up with people whose family was like, were straight from Italy, Puerto Rico, um, people who, you know, we were able to celebrate like Kwanzaa and Hanukkah in school. Like we grew up in this like very progressive place that was really accepting. And like, I think about people who came out when we were in high school and I feel like nobody cared, like not for like to sound flippant about it, but like we had the first, like we had a gay straight alliance all through high school. We had friends who had come out like as early as like elementary school, middle school. And I was like, okay, you're my friend, I don't care. So for me, it's been so interesting here. And even with me coming out, like I felt that pressure to come out only because for me to come out in Texas was so interesting to me because I feel like although we grew up in this very liberal progressive place I feel like my family expected me to be this like idyllic person then I came out like girl we don't care and I'm like it was interesting to think because like obviously I had friends who were and my family didn't care but for me it's like oh my god I'm not allowed but now for me to come out in Texas and to see how and to be very in in the queer community here in Austin doing actual like activism in Austin in the queer space and for lack of a term like making a name for myself like people in queer Austin know who I am because of the work that I do and even still feeling like there's so much gatekeeping and there's so many orgs in Austin that are queer led but there's so many because I feel like people feel like the gatekeeping around queerness especially if you are queer and a person of color is such like an interesting dichotomy and I think here in the South, I feel like queerness is still very much equated with whiteness. And so I think that's also why I'm always like, I want to get back up North because I feel like I can just breathe a little easier being on the, first of all, up North because it's not the South, but then also on the East coast of like, we are just very, very liberal and accepting. And it's like, you can show up as your full authentic self in those spaces. And there's like, you can just be. Yes. So that last part, you can just be, is the difficult part about being a queer woman of color in Texas. A lot of the times in the, in the queer, in queer spaces in general, you will not get people's authentic self. They out here because of the culture and just the differences in how we were raised, I feel like in dating, there is hesitation to commit 
to being your full self, specifically in my dating experience with the Latinx community here. It is a struggle um, for many reasons, like religious upbringing, um, just kind of like the trauma that as, you know, communities of color and marginalized communities that we go through in general, um, obviously, for the most part, people uh, in the Latinx community out here in Texas are Catholic. And so there's like that Catholic guilt, you know, that token Catholic guilt there, um, then being Latinx, the, the need to ensure that you make your family proud and that you don't dishonor your family but this could also be you know for other communities of color it's just in my experiences i really feel like we going back to what you said about if you dress a certain way you know you're going to attract uh you know you might get hit on by uh, a man versus a woman and the boxes it's like it's it's crazy it's enough to make you go crazy and i totally respect anyone who is from the east coast that moves to texas and says i feel like i want to be on the east coast again because it's just i wish there was a, a another way to like for people to physically experience like the cognitive dissonance that plays into being a queer person of color in general period in the South, it, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it, nothing. Yeah, I almost accepted a job in San Antonio. A friend of mine had sent me this job with the city they were looking for. I applied, I got an interview. Um, I got the offer and then exactly what you're saying of like the San Antonio is a very historic religious city and I feel like I was like I can't go I can't go back into like the social closet like here in Austin I'm able to be like I am a black queer woman and if you want to hire me you need to know who I am and that's a privilege that I have to be able to do that here but I often tell people like, I could not imagine having to hide who I am. And I feel like sometimes, and I think that's why I wanted to move back to Philly so badly this year. Like, I think now's the time I had gotten to a place I had just turned 30 and I was like, oh my God, I know everything now. Um, but it was this feeling of, I can move to a place that I know is culturally diverse, is very queer friendly, is you know, another city that I can, you know, be super involved in. And I had friends who already lived there and, you know, it would be easy for me to pick up and, and move again. And I had friends like, well, why do you want to move? And I was like, as a black queer woman living in Texas, not even Austin, just in Texas, there's just so much that y'all don't have to think about because like you're saying, it's cognitive dissonance. Like it's not something that, that affects you. And it's not to say like all queer people of color who live in Texas feel this way, but as someone who grew up, like we're saying, in the Northeast where you were just able to be, and there's so many protections, like Connecticut is a blue state, New York is a blue state, like to be able to live up North and be like, okay, like this is it. And, and, and to feel how, again, how gatekeeping it is around queerness here in Texas and, and to not have to, to deal with that dichotomy of like, am I too masculine, am I too feminine, am I too dominating, am I too X, Y, and Z? Whereas, you know, in high school, I think about in high school and even in college, like I was able to, you know, to be fair, I wasn't out yet, but like just to see other queer people and remember this so vividly of like, there was no rules for them, right? Like it was like, you can wear a dress today and then wear joggers and a t-shirt tomorrow and be just fine, right? And I feel like here it's almost like this performative thing of you have to always be on in order to be seen. So yeah, I just, I, I couldn't move there and everyone's like, it's only an hour away. I'm like, but, but like the cultural change that would have been for me to move to, I just think about like that level of pressure too for folks of like, I grew up in a very religious family, but I am fortunate enough that it was a religious family in the Northeast. Like I couldn't imagine people of like Southern Baptists and Southern, Southern Catholic 
sort of experiences while being queer. And so I think that's that was a real big reason for me to to not move to San Antonio. No shade if you live there. Just it wasn't the journey for me. Just when you and I have conversations about like our work experiences, uh, specifically as it pertains to like queer, uh, the queer community and activism and all these things, it's like, I currently am working in the queer community as you introduced me in the beginning and working in an environment with other Latinx folks, it's like, I want it to feel like I'm home away from home. Like I want it to feel, I want people to understand you know, this, in essence, like our logic, like our perspective. And it's just, it doesn't happen. It's not natural in the workplace for me to feel like I can speak freely um I've been told many a time to like just sit there and take it and like not require so much or not be as vocal uh in the workplace as I am because I need to be palatable and mm. I've we've had this conversation plenty of times not only on the pod but we've talked about it um but there's a certain level of like palatability that uh, is required for someone who lives in San Antonio. Mm. And if you are too vocal, if you are too um, radical, as many would put it, it's like seen as a turnoff as well in, you know, dating, in partnerships, um, in, in just all aspects. And so I kind of am a little jelly that you live in Austin because I feel like Austin um, has, of course, all the great vegan eats. Y'all may not know, but I'm vegan. And um, on top of that, just the culture is uh, more city and more open, more liberal, but it will never be what we grew up with and it's like having to come to terms with that do we accept that and stay and you know still be ourselves genuinely um and find those opportunities and open up to those opportunities and manifest those opportunities where you know right now we may have had to kind of figure out how to be our authentic selves in like this type of environment. But do we accept those opportunities now that are in alignment with our highest good and move away from Texas? Or do we dim the light? And for me, there's no dimming the light any longer. I feel like I've done that, been there, done that, and I accept it. If it's for me, I accept it. If it isn't for me, then I let it go freely. Okay. Once again, I have a lot to unpack. So <laughs> the palatability, <sighs> that word triggers me so much Same. as being someone who is very educated, who has a lot of, who has a lot of work experiences who has done a lot of stuff in her life um who you know all these privileges have been allotted and to think about how I am seen as palatable just because of who I am like I have black friends who quote are seen as like more brash or more not defensive but more like and for lack of a term, like they're seen as aggressive. And I always say like, they're not aggressive. They're just not saying it in a way that you were in a space to receive it. And that is the, the microaggression or the racism behind it of like, as a black person, when we say something and it is, it is like seen as like too aggressive or too passionate or too X, Y, and Z. But if it was seen by someone else and, you know, I think about it in the way of like, 
fat phobia goes like if a black thin woman says something versus if a black fat woman says something or you know if a light-skinned black woman says something or a black woman who is darker toned says something like there's just like all these things that go into colorism and fat phobia and and the way it like pulls apart at the fabric of trying to build community and so for me you know going to work at this new place it is majority black people who run this organization and I am so fucking excited to go work there because like you're saying it's just when you're with community and with family and with people who get it that you don't have to explain things it just changes so much stuff and as a person and as people who work in nonprofit, we know that like a lot of the time the top-down positions of power are held by white typically cis typically hetero or um white men and for me, you know, I have left a couple of organizations because I was like, I'm not going to be your token black. I'm not going to be your, look at us, we're, we're inventive and we're inclusive. And it's like, you just want me there as a sort of like beacon of like, look, we're changing, but yet you still silence me. You don't have space for me to grow. You don't plan on helping me um, blossom in this career. And so I'm going to leave and remove myself because how dare you use me for your, for you and your um, mission, but you're not willing to invest in me. And so I often think about that too. Like now we know when I was considering leaving Austin, everyone's like, but you still, there's still much, so much, there's still so much that you can do. And I'm like, why do I have to do it? Why does it have to be me? There are so many other queer people of color, you know, quote, radical people who live here. Why is it that y'all want me to do this? And I told, told people like this next year, I'm like, I'm stepping away from a lot of stuff because I want people to get prepared for the fact like I'm not always going to be in Austin. I'm not always going to be the person you can call and be like, hey, can you sit on this board? Hey, can you lead this coalition? Hey, can you be? I'm like, no, I can't. Because if y'all really wanted this to happen, you would go and look for other people and it wouldn't just be me who I know what I bring and I know, like I tell people when I date, like if you are interested in me because of what I can do for you professionally or socially, don't come for me. Like I can spot fakeness and bullshit a mile away, also an East Coast trait. And and I tell people all the time, like I don't, I don't need to be the person in the limelight. I don't need to be the person getting the credit. I just want shit to happen. But that is also met with, but if you're using me to get yourself ahead, miss me. Like, I don't need to stay here. I don't need to be here. I am the queen of leaving situations. And that's that. And so for you, you know, when you said that, like that palatability and like feeling like you have to stay or feeling like you have to be the one who is here, I'm just like, I I feel that so much in my soul. Oh, indeed. That is a lot to unpack. <laughs> so being being of the Latinx community again, you know, and growing up with black family, you know, um, I'm not black, I can't say I'm black, but wanting to see the same opportunities that I'm given as a, as a Latina woman um, in a queer space, and to see my colleagues being being seen as not palatable because of you know their willingness to speak up for themselves to stand up for themselves stand in their power and ask for what they know damn well they deserve and what they should be receiving and then at the same token, them and myself are experiencing the same exact issue, um, but in different ways. It's so frustrating. It's so frustrating um, to see, like, I'm getting a promotion and I'm like, great, you know, I'm happy about it. Um, someone sees, you know, not just my potential, but sees me right now as who I am as a valuable source, right? Um, but to see one of my colleagues um, who is Black, uh, you know, not get that same opportunity. And I know on paper looks better than me. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
in real life has great ideas, great um, things to bring to the table as far as like different trainings and all these things like that. Um, it's almost like I can't celebrate it. Like I can't celebrate the fact that I'm being promoted mm. because going back to the very beginning of our conversation, I feel like I'm a sellout because mm -hmm. although I'm not black, I am so pro-black, it's not funny. And because I'm a Latina and I'm of the Latinx community, people tend to assume that I'm anti-black or mm. that they can say certain things around me and I don't pick up. Like you are like, I can pick up on bullshit a mile away. We have that quality in us. Mm -hmm. I'm from the East Coast. I'm like, yeah, that's fake shit. You know, <laughs> having, being in the space where you're helping others in your own community, in the queer community, and then having someone be like, oh yeah, I don't, you know, want to see this client. Can I pass them off to you? And you knowing damn well that that person is passing off that client to you because they know that you're culturally aware, that you're not anti-Black, that you will take care of that client in the way that they know they don't even give a fuck to do. Like, that is the biggest reason why I'm like, I have to find a way to balance this masculine and feminine energy and be more in balance with myself and determine for myself if I'm going to continue to be my radical self and pro-Black and all these things, which I know I am naturally in my heart. This is who I am. And if you don't like it, leave, right? Um, or am I going to be palatable? And how do I not be palatable, especially in this moment where it's like my friend has lost his job and I just got promoted. And I know it has everything to do with palatability and race. A lot. It's a lot. It is. And 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 it's just yeah. I I I also feel often like you're saying, like knowing because of your palatability you can be seen as a sellout. And I feel that so much, right? Like I have friends who have said to me, like, I love I love listening to you and following you because you'll say things in a way that I can receive it and hear it but I can't follow x y and z black woman because for me she's too aggressive and I'm like yeah like I tell people like if if she and I said the same thing that I know there are folks who would say that she was more aggressive and I don't and obviously we know that's not it it's just like she doesn't right. sugarcoat it and I don't either it's just our delivery is different I will totally give that but her delivery isn't aggressive. It's just you want it to sound a certain way. And the level of like, I'm like, I need you to impact why that's a racist comment. Or like people who have said in the past of like, I only, Brie only gets invited to things because she is loud or she makes a scene or blah, blah, X, Y, and Z. I'm like, you would never say that about a white woman. She would be seen as passionate and driven and you know, she's just so like, it's just something she really fights for me. But because I am a black woman who knows that, knows that I deserve things, I am seen as X, Y, and Z. And having to constantly unpack that for slash with people and be like, this is why this is problematic and you cannot say this. And, and, I, and I know that my privileges, I have to tell you because I'm going to set up another black queer person of color in the future to not have to deal with your shit. But just to ha to constantly have to think about that and just be like, and to think about it professionally too, of like, did the constant, like, am I here because I deserve it? Am I here because I was palatable for you? Am I here because of, you know, this whole, the whole thing around like education too, of like you have to have X, Y, and Z education in order to get anywhere. And you're like, 
I, I once did a job interview and someone was like, why don't you have your master's yet? And I was like, I went and got life experience. Like I felt like I could sit there and pay tens of thousands of dollars to learn something from a book, air quote, or I can go and actually be in this realm and learn and do things that I could, I could read about, but never experience. And like in this whole system around education being seen as more palatable and um, accepting, accepted than actual real life experience. It's just the system around all this stuff is just fucking wild to me. Ooh, and we ever wonder how we, we make it in this world sometimes. It's, it's a lot, it's, it's, it's nuanced, right? Like you, you recognize in what ways you have privilege, in what ways you are palatable. And in the same token, it's having to say to yourself, now, what do I do with that? What is my lane going to be? Mm-hmm. How, like, how do I want to address that? So um, after, you know, Memorial Day and George Floyd's murder, um, my grandfather and I spoke a lot. And my grandfather was actually a Black Panther. And we spoke a lot about what it is that you can do as an individual, as an individual, you yourself, to create change and affect change in the lives of those individuals that are not only marginalized and stigmatized, but of your community. And the way that he did that was by initially engaging in protest. And he realized quickly that he was not palatable as an activist. And for him personally, he felt that if I, instead of protesting outside of the company I work for, if I make my way up in that company and I bring my people along with me, then back then, of course, Mm -hmm. they have pensions, they will have and gain generational wealth, they'll be able to create that for their families. And I took that what my grandfather said. And sometimes for me, that concept doesn't really work. I find myself having a lot of inner conflict about um, being palatable or um, just dimming myself or hushing myself for a lack of a better phrase. Mm-hmm. Um, for others. And so that is where the community fridge came about for me. It was like, yes, I know that, you know, at times I feel like I'm, I'm having to come to terms with the, the fact that I'm palatable at work. I know that in my professional life, I am palatable and I, sometimes I can do something about that. Sometimes I, I have no control over how other people view me. Um, But by creating the community fridge, what I can do is say, this is what I care about. Community care, mutual aid. And if y'all want to join in, join me. This is how I want to affect change. So that's that's where i'm at now in terms of my you know my new job position my promotion i'm learning to celebrate it because if i use the same logic as my grandfather who i I have so much respect and love for then i understand that there is a purpose for me to be in that position and regardless of how radical I may seem to um, those that I work with or um, I will partner up with in my professional life, they know that 
I'm never going to settle be and be palatable. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't need to go and back and get my master's. I have the experience and I can affect change. And they still wanted to promote me. I feel very conflicted still about the situation with my friend, but I respect the fact that I can't stop doing the work. That should be more motivation to continue to do the work. Yeah, I want to quickly unpack what you just said about your grandfather and like the feeling of like bringing your people up with you because that's definitely my vibe with a lot of things. Like I have a friend who's always like, you know everybody. And if you don't know everybody, you're like three degrees away from everybody. And I always say, I just love to connect people who want to do shit. Like if you want to start a dinner where black people can come and network together, love it. Let me connect you with someone who I know is a black caterer, a venue that is run by a black person, like all these different things. And so like currently I was thinking of starting uh, another podcast, which I won't talk about too much here because I'm, it's still in the beginning phase. <laughs> it's because it's me. Um, but long story short, it's going to be me, one of my black female friends, and then one of her black male friends, I think we're going to invite him to join us. Um, then we're going to have conversation. I guess I'm going to tell you, we're going to have conversations. <laughs> um, the three of us being black people bringing in other black people to talk about different topics through the black lens and unpack that through different life experiences of like, we can all say that we are black and identify as black, but we all have very completely different experienced lives because black people are not a monolith, but I'm not going to preach about that today. Um, but when thinking about the people who I wanted to, why I wanted to do, to do this show and why I wanted to bring people in with me, a friend's like, you could do that by yourself. I'm like, I could, but why would I? And she and I were talking about that. I was like, I feel mm. like as a person of color, specifically as a black woman, it is my job to use my privilege to uplift the voices of other black people. And I think about that in activism of like, it can never just be us. Like you can, ne- you cannot do this alone. And so like with me, I specifically invited people who I feel like, you know, with social media, everyone feels like everybody knows them. Or like, if you have a certain amount of followers, like you are this very, you have like this different level of like, importantness and while like yes I have the privilege of like having thousands of followers now I still am very real and accessible and I don't want people on my social media I make it a point not to just show the highlight reels and so when thinking about who to invite in I wanted to invite people who I knew had a lot to say but didn't have the same level of platform and that level of privilege that I had because I know there are people out there who have all these things to say, but they are not palatable to white people or, you know, their level of like education or activism or what have you is so, there's so much gatekeeping behind it. And so when I was thinking of who to invite in, I was like, I want to bring in, bring in people who I know will have impactful and important conversations and not feel like they have to be kept behind red tape. Cause I don't feel like I have to be kept behind red tape, which is why I think I have the show, but mm-hmm. also specifically bringing in people who, who other people might not see as people they should follow because they don't already have that level of followership. And I'm like, that for me is bullshit. Like I talk the same way now on my social that I did when I had five followers, like that has not change exactly. at all like the the level of people who follow along is great but it's not why I do what I do and so with this new show I'm starting there there are black people who I'm going to invite in who are who have tens of thousands of followers who are who have a lot of social uh economy who are activists who are just people who I've met in passing who are friends of friends who are celebrities and not celebrities like there's just so many black people and people who are doing great work that with this next show, I just wanted it to be a space where we could just all have conversation and there was no red tape or gatekeeping into what your value was as a black person. And that's what it sounds like when your grandfather's like, I have to bring my people up because we all matter. But if we aren't even willing to help each other, then what the hell are we doing? And authentically, I felt that 
in my core. When he said that, it just, as we would say nowadays, it hit different. Like it just felt so sincerely vulnerable. Like for him to tell me that I understand and I respect what you're trying to do because I was very vocal um, on my social media. I've always been, but it came to a, a head where I realized I have a lot of anger when I shrink myself. I have a lot of anger when I settle. I experience a lot of resentment and that deep guttural, like nauseous feeling when I am not being who I authentically am. And so like from March of this year, all the way until to like July, I was a bomb ticking going off every day. And I realized I don't want to be like this. I don't want to be coming from a space of anger. I don't want to have this guttural reaction that causes me to react instead of respond to things. But at the same time, it's like this year just was a lot. Mm-hmm. So I give myself grace. I, I, you know, tell people all the time, give yourself grace, like be, you know, as nice to yourself as you would want others to be to you. But that, that stuffing down of yourself for society, for government, it's all the things, fat phobia, uh, homophobia, xenophobia, uh, kids in cages, you know, um, black men and women and trans folk, and the list goes on being murdered. Um, and it, it's just, I felt like the world is so cruel and I'm angry. And so it went off, it went off because I didn't have an outlet other than social media. So what I would say to people is if you feel that, that need to speak up to affect change in some type of way, whether that's in your local community, I honestly feel like that's the best way, um, you know, do something about that, do something with that anger, let that fuel you versus just being reactionary. Um, so that way you can affect change and impact people and going forward. I'm not saying to be palatable at all. If you're angry, be angry. You know, I needed to go through that to get to the point where I am today to say, I respect that person that I was during that time. I honor that person. That person was saying, I will take no more shit. I will not hold my tongue anymore. I will give of myself to this world, period. But now this is how I want to approach it. This is the the platform that I want to use. And this is how I'm going to use it to make that impact. Thank you so much for coming on. I'll be sure to link the community fridge info into the show notes. As you know, at the end of every episode, I like to ask this sort of palate cleanser question. What is the best advice you were ever given? Or what's a piece of advice you would give to your younger self? I know I didn't know it back when I was younger, like what it truly meant when my mother would say this to me. But when people show you who you are, believe them you also need to believe yourself. Don't be in self-denial. Like know yourself, be aware of your triggers, your trauma, um, how you how you come into the world as yourself, what it is that you're bringing to the table and just be okay. Just accept people for who they are. You accept yourself for who you are. And if it means you have to let go, let go. If it means you have to hold on, hold on a little bit tighter, love a little bit harder, but yes. Uh, That's it for this week's episode of the Tea with Brie. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at the Tea with Brie. Send me an email at the Tea with Brie at gmail.com and visit the website at the Tea with Brie podcast.com. 
Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or we get your podcasts. A special thanks to Mama Duke for our theme music, and I will talk to y'all next week. Bye.